All right. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of our show, True Data Ops. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. Each week, we're going to bring you a podcast covering all things data ops with the people that are making data ops what it is today. Now, today, I'm very happy to have my special guest, expert Data Vault practitioner, certified Data Vault boot camp instructor, my, my good friend, Cindy Meyerson. She's the president and founder of Data Rebels and the Chief Operating Officer of Data Vault Alliance Holdings. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you, Kent. It's good to be here with you, as always. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your very busy schedule, globe-hopping, teaching people about Data Vault to, to join us today and, and talk about our, our topic here. But uh, so for you know the folks that are listening and watching today that don't know too much about you. Could you give us a little bit about your your background in, in data management and how you got to where you are today with Data Rebels and uh, Data Vault Alliance? Sure. Um, so I've been in IT, uh, believe it or not, since the late 70s. Um, I was introduced to the world of IT through Wang Systems. Uh, a lot of I was too. Know. <laughs> right. Um, and I just fell in love with technology as a result of that. So I've been a network engineer. I've worked with Banyan and Novell and IBM Token Ring Network Networks. That's sort of where I uh, got into the networking aspects and the engineering aspects of, if you will, data and networking. Um, I moved into web development in the mid to late 80s uh, and then got into COTS, you know, uh, commercial off the shelf type systems, PeopleSoft specifically, uh, product integration and, and development. Um, my most recent experience prior to starting Data Rebels was uh, spending about 17 years or so inside the Department of Defense uh, intelligence community, working both non-mission and mission level solutions, sort of architecture and uh, analytics uh, work. And in the midst of all this, I, I earned my undergrad in uh, information systems um, and my master's in systems engineering, for those of you who care. Um, and that's about when I discovered uh, the Data Vault system of business intelligence. Um, so that put me on a completely different pathway. It's allowed me to sort of meet some really brilliant minds uh, and some wonderful people. So I started Data Rebels in about 2017 to provide education and training in Data Vault 2 methodology and to coach and guide businesses in becoming self-sufficient and building their analytic solutions. So um, and about uh, 2019, Dan Lindstedt, the inventor of, of Data Vault, creator of Data Vault, um, invited me to become the chief operating officer for Data Vault Alliance Holdings. Um, DVA is the holder of the Data Vault 2 solution intellectual property uh, and the DV2 standards rules and recommended best practices. Our focus is on, you know, growing and innovating the Data Vault 2 solution through rigorous testing, which is how it came out of Lockheed Martin in the first place, um, and adherence, I would say, to sound engineering principles. So, Yeah, I and mean, it's, uh, yeah, the uh, the Data Vault world and the uh, Worldwide Data Vault Consortium Conference in Vermont, I think, is, uh, you know, where, where you and I met a bunch yep. of years ago. When, yeah. You know, it's like pre-Snowflake and pre-a lot of other things. Uh, um but I didn't know about the Wang thing because that turns out that was <laughs> I learned to program on a little desktop before they were called desktop Wang standalone computer uh, in my high school. 
And oh, was, wow. That's how, yeah, my, my math, my math teacher talked the school board into letting him buy a, the very first computer for the school district. And uh, I remember having to, it had like zero memory uh, to program in it. We programmed in basic. I had to yep. put it, I had to put a floppy disk into the thing to upload the basic operating system so that we could write the program and then had to save the program to the disk in order to run a program. You had to put that desk back in, load it into the, what little memory was there, and then you yep. could run the program, but it really couldn't store anything. It had no disk drive as we know it today. So yeah, th that's how I, I got started as well was specifically with a Wang. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Small so, world. Ken. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. The, the it, it's, it's amazing how much our industry has, has changed since, you know, you and I started doing these things in, in the late seventies from something, you know, before the IBM PC even existed, yeah. what we worked with and how, how little memory it had, how little space it had and what we had to do to actually make anything happen. Um, you know, post punch card, but not quite, you know, into what people think of as a desktop computer even. So that's, that's, that's good. I, so I just learned something new from you already today. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're, of course, here on the uh, True Data Ops podcast. And so we want to talk about data ops. So I'm really interested in uh, your perspective on, you know, how do you d define data ops and, and really where does it fit in our, our modern data space? Um, so uh, as I was looking through, you know, sort of, uh, your data ops website when we were talking and and um and of course uh some of the conversations i've had with doug needham um on these things so from my perspective i would say data ops is sort of a combination of the principles from the agile manifesto um, then they're implemented through data ops pragmatically to bring the business value right um in data operations and analytics so it's about I think, I believe it's about delivering business focused quality governance and management to data through collaborative partnerships, you know, with the business or with the mission so that you get these results in a repeatable, optimized, you know, set of processes. So, you know, we want to make sure that the processes break complexity. And that's what I'm seeing with uh, what you guys are doing. You know, they break the complexity into these bite sized chunks or data products that are well tested, you know, interoperable, highly performant and reusable. So that's how I see data ops running. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, you and I both have the, the background in, in agile and that's, you know, part of what I, I saw in, you know, as we're kind of evolving how we deal with data, we started trying to, it's like, well, can we apply the agile manifesto It's designed for software. And so now we've moved into this space of, okay, taking it the next step is how do we apply some of these other principles in, in the data space and, and make it work? So, um, and this is a big question that I get all the time from people uh, that, I, that I consult with, and you probably get the same thing too, is, you know, is it possible still today to deliver value at the scale that we're doing now from data if we're, we're not adopting some form of agile or using something like data ops and, and true data ops, you know, where do we stand with that? Can, can, do corporations really need to kind of jump into this even more so than they had in the past? Um, well, we were sort of talking about this earlier. Um, 
And if I have to be honest, I would say, yeah, it can be done, right? Because if I were to say, no, you can't do it without Agile or some form of data ops, right? Um, that sort of denies the fact that, that many teams have been doing it. So um, I think the real question is whether or not uh, we can deliver optimum value, you know, optimization, um, if we're not agile and following some form of data ops. And the answer to that question is no, because outside of agile ways of working, the time it takes to optimize exceeds, in my opinion, the value of the data at the end of the pipeline. So some mm -hmm. of that has to do with you know, data aging um, and the value of data as it ages over time. Um, you'll have people that will argue that, uh, you know, the older data is the least valuable it becomes. And I would say that depends, all right? If you're looking at yeah. if you're looking at prediction, you need to understand what the trends are over time. So it really depends on the application. Um, and then, you know, other aspects have to do with, you know, lost opportunity, if you will. So, um, you know, those are the things I would look at. It's an optimization will, will help you with that. Right, yeah, because, you know, obviously there, there's, you know, we have a, a long history in our industry. And so there's, you know, People have been successful before Agile existed and before yeah. these concepts of true data ops existed. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the way your perspective on that, putting it the, are we getting the optimum value, right? And really the, the lost opportunities is we, we talk a lot about, you know, what's the time to value, right? And trying to reduce that amount of time that we deliver value from the data and, you know, for certain types of data sets, if we start talking near real-time data and operational analytics, well, yeah, it's 24 hours is too long in some cases, right? And we're trying to, right. you know, uh, in healthcare, right? We're doing IoT devices. Yeah. We're getting uh, healthcare information and monitoring for patients. Well, that needs to pretty much be real-time, right? Otherwise, it, it really could be a life-and-death situation. Um, and you know, way worse than a lost opportunity in that case. So yeah, how do how do we get there? Now, you and I have both consulted with a, a lot of companies over the last number of years. Long and, time. Let's not put a date on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a while. Um, but there's we we have challenges in in getting people to change the way they do things, mm -hmm. and so want to hear from you, your, your perspectives and experience on, you know, what are some of the barriers to becoming more agile? And that's agile with a little a, uh, so that we can uh, reduce the time to value. Um, I would say people and organizations are the greatest barrier. Um, I don't think the business in general really understands on a larger scale what being agile means. Um, and I think the technical teams look at the ceremonies without unnecessarily, I would say, applying the concepts of Agile. Uh, I also think that most teams are unclear on the ties between the objective of being Agile and its direct relationship to the capability maturity model integration, which is basically, you know, the, uh, uh, the purpose of that is to affect process improvement by you know, developing risk-reducing behaviors inside the team you know, across services, across products and software development. I think that's where, uh, I think the team sometimes lose the why and the connection between CMMI, which is uh, the grandfather of all things agile. So um, 
you know, uh, in, in, in an analytic solution, it, it's actually a software development project and it's a, or a program more likely, right? Cause it goes on and on. There's never, it's not a project. Finished. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's, and so, you know, it ought to follow a software development process, um, which is precisely, you know, what the man, the, the agile manifesto was created for. So these agile ways of working um, are, are, are critical to actually, we go back to, you know, optimization, right? And so how do you get a team to work in, a, in an optimized fashion? So that's- Yeah, and, and I think that that is, you know, certainly one of the challenges we, we see is that, you know, people keep thinking there's a technology solution and while technology may enable us to be more agile and enable us to uh, apply the principles of, of true data ops, it's the people and the processes and organizational structures and organizational culture that really you, you've got you've to work around that to, to be successful because you have the best technical product product in the world but if you don't know how to use it right and you say you're not um, doing process improvements and you're just following your same old approach with a cool tool you're not necessarily going to get that um, the improvement that you're looking for and the you, you have again the lost opportunity sorts of things happening yeah well process improvement too i mean a lot of people it's just like if you put a system diagram up on a logical data flow, they start thinking in terms of, you know, technology. But, um, you know, agile process improvement has to do with, you know, measuring your team's success, which a lot of it, it's not about when I say process improvement, it's, it's not necessarily about the technology writing more efficient code or, you know, uh, developing a pipeline that's more high, highly efficient. It's how does your team work together? It's that people piece of it. You know, there's a process to that as well. Um, and, you know, you know, with the whole concept of, of you know, agile and, and agility, um, well, we talked about optimization earlier, but um, you, you can only optimize if you measure. And so in Data Vault, one of the things we talk about with people, process, and technology, for example, is that the team needs to understand how to measure its efficiencies. It's not just about how many errors are in the code or the quality of the data and things like that. It's about how is the team working together and how can they optimize their ways of working to, you know, uh, you know, accelerate delivery, if you will. So there's a lot of pieces to it when you say people process and technology. And I think as technologists, we tend to go down that quick systems path, right? It's an easy way to, to draw an analogy there, but it's about the team. Yeah. So uh, do you have any uh, quick tips for organizations to kind of improve the, the maturity of how they're dealing with data and their data practice? Um, so I would say, first of all, you and I have been around, we've seen, we've seen the industry go around and around, you know, uh, you know, new, you know, new label, same concept over time. And sometimes I think the tendency is to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Unfortunately, over time, things appear to be old. Um, and I actually believe that when a business can um, sort of in, embrace, if you will, or incorporate the concept of, you know, CMMI for development in an incremental approach, um, that that's going to actually uh, mature the, the business or the enterprise overall. 
what I've witnessed in my career is this whole concept of boil the ocean, you know, this approach to data management, tying in data governance and data asset value and master data and all of this all together. And you have all these like people spinning up um, very quickly to sort of boil the ocean, if you will. I think if we take a holistic assessment of, you know, CMMI implementation, you know, start at level one, um, you know, with this, this initial, you know, set of immature processes, even within your teams that are, you know, sort of unpredictable, you know, poorly controlled, you know, more reactive than proactive type of ways of working together. And we begin to move through this maturity curve with our teams and we become more, you know, more proactive rather than reactive, right? Um, and we move through this maturity curve up to a level five to optimization through measurement on the different pieces that the team is working on. You know, so we're optimizing our ways of working, what, you know, Scott Ambler calls the wow of a team. You know, so when the team hits level five, then that iterative process is focused on innovation and process improvement. And that's where we want to be. So I think that over time, as the as as a as a business begins to operate along that CMMI maturity curve and incrementally build out and develop their teams, that's where I think you'll see data management as a practice mature inside of a business. Yeah, and I, I think uh, one of the key points here is you you're talking through this sort of a, a true maturation process and growth of an organization and team as they learn is that people really need to realize this is not something that's going to happen overnight. If you yeah. have a very immature process and you've never done agile or anything remotely like agile uh, or had a standard methodology that it's not, it's not going to be an overnight thing. You can't just like snap your fingers and okay, we're doing true data ops and we're agile and we're delivering value in two weeks. No, no, we, we got to set the right expectations that, it is a it is a growth process. It's an education process before we can get to that level, and it may it may take a little time to to get there. Um, but once you get there, then yeah, when you're at you've optimized your ways of working, then yeah, the Scott's you know wow factor that's where it kicks in. It's like you know never imagined we could actually deliver so much so fast, but yeah, you got to you, you got to get there right. Yeah, you sometimes hear people say, you know, you need to slow down to go fast. Yeah, and and exactly. this is one of those situations. You need to slow down to make sure the whole team is caught up to the concepts that you're moving for. The whole team understands the important importance, if you will, of measurement, so that they because if you don't, I I've worked with teams before where they're like, well, we want to, you know, we want to, um, you know, we want to improve our or accelerate in our delivery. And I said, well, did you capture your baseline? <laughs> which is, oh yeah, we forgot to measure that. I said, so if you don't- What are you comparing you started, yourself to? How do you know you've improved, right? Yeah. So that yeah. measurement is critical to that. So I always tell them, capture your baseline, especially when we start with new, if you will say with a new project team or something. And, and the thing about capturing metrics on a team and an agile team is that it's okay to change the metrics you're capturing. Like if the metrics you're capturing aren't working for you, it's okay to drop metrics and pick up different ones, right? Different ways of measuring. That's agile as well, right? So what is working and what isn't? Anyway, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, okay. As you, as you know, uh, we have uh, the seven pillars of true data ops. 
Uh, and for, for those who want to look that up, that's at truedataops.org. You can look it up and read the philosophy and, and see the seven pillars in detail. But what I wanted to you know, hear from you, Cindy, is you know, looking at those seven pillars, which one, if you had to pick one, um, do you think is kind of the most interesting and uh, useful uh, for, for people to be successful? So I thought uh, when I was looking through those, the one that resonated with me the most, really, because kind of got my head spinning on some things, um, was uh, was the ELT piece and and the E, I would say, lowercase LT piece, right? For that matter, um, if I think about you know like massive data reutilization capabilities, I think about auditability and scalability and resiliency, right? ELT is just sort of the some I would say the secret sauce to some of that, right? If I look at data ops and that approach to um, you know e, e little t LT, right, and the requirement for supporting the principles of data governance, data auditability, and lineage, then you have to take into account the need to sort of preserve the history of the changes over time, right? The, um, there's this you know this perfect synergy, I would say, between data ops, ELT, that pillar, and the data vault solution in that, you know, data vault wholly embraces these supporting principles. You know, we separate the business keys, or if you want to say conceptual integration points from, you know, business key relationships, you know, which are the applied business rules, actually, um, from historical sort of time variant descriptive data. We use this 100% insert-driven approach. In other words, zero changes. You guys talk about near zero changes, but using things like a satellite, which is where we capture our, you know, uh, time-variant descriptive data, historical data, um, we have zero changes to the historical data. And the ability to physically separate it, that descriptive data, you know, by type, we can also meet those security privacy, regulatory policy. So I see this great synergy there. Um, and I kind of want to keep this in mind. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to this and talk about the synergy where, you know, at Data Vault Alliance, we see this convergence, if you will, of Data Vault with Data Ops and Data Mesh on, on a technological platform, especially things like Snowflake, right? So I think about things like, you know, how many times have you and I in our, in our careers, you know, how many times have you been asked, you know, like why it's like stump the chump, right? Why do data warehouses fail or why have data lakes failed or why have data lake houses, you know, been so challenging to stand up? And I personally believe it's because of a few fundamental reasons, you know, starting with the attitude that, um, you know, the principle, uh, you know, uh, understanding of true agility has been lost in our industry. For example, you know, CMMI framework has been viewed as old school, which I mentioned earlier. And what mo most people, I think, today don't necessarily realize is that, you know, um, we we look at this stuff and um, they don't realize that, you know, all of these things around, you know, uh, uh, CMMI and agility, CMMI is the grandfather of all things you know, agile. And so we can't just throw that out, right? It's like, it's like, you know, you know, throwing grandpa out the door. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but, you know, grandpa's crucial to the family unit, right? Because he understands, he understands the history. 
And he's gone through all of these uh, challenges that we've had for so long in our industry. And he understands why we do things the way we do. So if we throw that kind of those principles and those disciplines out, we lose sight of that why, right? And we wait, we end up reinventing the wheel. So if I take this e ELT and data, data ops, you know, if we store the data in its raw form, you know, what do we have? We have the facts and data vault. We say we have a version of the facts. Data are facts. However, having one fact doesn't necessarily provide, you know, insight necessarily. And that's why the business needs more facts, you know, to sort of corroborate a hypothesis, if you will. And, and that becomes a theory for the business and it gets tested. It becomes law, like a scientific process. In data vault, we say that the raw data is a version of the facts, not a version of the truth. You know, I don't look at the data as truth, nor do I look at the combination or correlation of data and its, its sort of interpretation, if you will, you know, as truth, but rather as a perspective or an optic on the facts that we're given, the data we have. So the raw data becomes the basis of analytic interpretation, um, interpolation, probability, you know, moving from descriptive analytics to predictive analytics and up that maturity curve, you know, to prescriptive analytics. But all along those pathways to maturity are these perspectives that get overlaid on top of the facts, which are the raw data. So when you store the data in its raw form, you make the facts available for massive, in my opinion, massive utility by making the data available from multiple perspectives or optics, right, based on the business function that's using the data. So it's one of the reasons why the concepts or the theory um, of delivering data products, if you will, in a data mesh ecosystem is so attractive, right? So raw data, you know, sort of affords this 100% auditability to its source. It's like, um, you know, uh, I usually tell my classes when I'm teaching, data can never say what data never said. The only way to test what the data actually said is to audit back to the source which brings us to, you know, uh, you know, uh, the manner in which uh, the data has been captured, right, and, and captured at the source. So the data vault logical architecture separates the raw data from the business's sort of various interpretations and perspectives, um, and, and it logically separates the raw data from, if you will, information. So creating information from raw data requires the application of business rules or business logic, right? Applying business logic or business rules to data introduces complexity, right? So in data ops, one of the things you talk about is ELT, it increases your performance, right? Because it reduces the complexity that we've had with Kimball type approaches, right? And that complexity is an antithesis, if you will, of agility, right? So the right. logical architectural separation of business rule application from raw data increases performance across the board in an analytic solution by reducing that complexity. When I look at data ops, what I love is the, is the recognition in data ops that by storing the raw data, you fall in line with what data vault methodology has tested and proven true for decades. You get this highly performant, highly resilient architecture, right? And by following those principles of reduced complexity, you build an analytic solution that is extremely flexible to the business because the facts, you know, the data is readily available to the business to be utilized in whatever fit for purpose manner is required. So that's sort of 
reusability, you know, it's delivered in a resilient, flexible, highly performant and scalable component. The more components you add, you know, as we say in Data Vault, the more business concepts that you add, the greater, you know, the view your business has across all of its operations, right. which is what the business has been asking for for decades, decades. right? Yes. Yes. So if we take this idea, and this was what I was sort of noodling through, and I was like, if we take this idea of raw, you know, data being preserved from the source operational systems, no matter where they are, because remember, you know, Data Vault is completely platform and technology independent, just like Data Ops. You can begin to think about, you know, well, what if we don't have to move the data? You know, yeah. what if we build our operational systems on top of a Data Vault to say, foundational logical process and data model. That's kind of an interesting, you know, approach. And I think you've done something like this, right? So we look at the, the predictions of, of global creation of data, right? In the next two years, like 2025, they're estimating something like 180 zettabytes of data. Now, Dan, I don't know if you, you heard him, but Back in 2018, Dan Lindstedt talked about the fact that data is simply going to get too big to move. So understanding that this is a fact, right? How do we design systems that are scalable and resilient, performant, flexible, you know, auditable? And at Data Vault Alliance, we're looking at this very closely in the lab, if you will, based on the work Dan did 15, 20 years ago with technologies like Snowflake, you know, and operations like data ops that you have you sort of get, you know, caught up with, if you will, um, some of the visions that Dan had back, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and his more current vision, like in 2018, talking about data being too big to move, of where the Data Vault 2 methodology can really serve business and, and analytics uh, in, in our industry in general. So we have the capability of building operational on Snowflake and applicate or application systems, right? on top of a data vault two solution so mm -hmm. that we don't have to move the data in order to reassemble it for analytic optimization. So if you want to talk about, you know, streaming analytics, what if you don't have to move the data at all? And you can virtualize the information outcomes by implementing business rules on top of the raw data that never has to get moved. You only move data physically if performance dictates you must. So building an operational or an application system on top of a properly built Data Vault 2 solution enables the enterprise, in my opinion, to move away from having to, you know, sort of land data multiple times, right? And then it moves the data warehouse toward, I would say, true virtualization. And I think that is really cool, you know, and you, and you need data ops in place to accomplish this. There's no other way to do it. You have to work in an agile fashion. All right. And so it's not a, a fly by the seat of your pants type solution. It requires truly agile software development approaches to achieve this rapid incremental business value. Right. And this business uh, sort of build out of, of the enterprise. Right. But it can certainly be done. Yeah, that, that's what you everything you just Sorry. said there. Wow. That's, that was a lot, a lot to digest, but uh, it, it really gets to, you know, our pillar of ELT and the spirit of ELT. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really just articulated a whole bunch of really good reasons for that. The whole idea of not moving the data, not landing the data multiple times, you know, that's, 
you know, get it, get it where it, it can be supported and then be able to project multiple perspectives as you called it on it, whether it be for analytics, for data science, for machine learning, uh, and it's all auditable, which, you know, is another one of, one of the pillars in, uh, in, in data ops that if we really approach it, like I said, from a, a fundamental principles perspective first, uh, rather than a technology perspective, yeah. you, there's, there's, it's, it's easy to see how far you could potentially go with this. And like you say, build something that's resilient and robust. It's not going to break over time because you hit some sort of a limit. Um, you know, thankfully, you know, tools like Snowflake and the cloud have eliminated a lot of the hard limits that we used to have to deal with, that we had to do these weird things to kind of end around it. Uh, and that's kind of why, you know, that that pillar there, of seeing the spirit of ELT is part of it. Yeah. And it goes back to one of the uh, principles of Agile um, of minimizing the amount of work not done. And I remember years ago when I first started teaching about agile in the data world, you know, my main example was oddly enough, this don't write ETL code that you don't need to write. Right. right? And that leads us into this virtualization concept of, you know, land the data and use the data using virtualization techniques, using views, things like that in a highly performant platform. So, you know, you don't have to QA code that you never wrote. And that's, as you and I, both experienced through our careers is like ETL code broke more often than probably anything else. You know, you had, you had two main problems. You ran out of space on the hardware. Okay. We've solved that problem. Thanks to the cloud. Uh, and the, the ETL code, which we now call data pipeline code broke right. because somebody didn't understand the requirements or the business rules changed. Hence yeah. the ETL and spirit of ELT of loading the data, the raw data and keeping that, then when those rules change downstream, we can make those changes, but we're not having to reload the data. It's okay. all still there. And that allows us to be so much more agile. Yeah, it's all part well, of that multiple utility. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, D Doug is chiming in here. Uh, the most efficient query is one that is never run. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, Doug. Yep, that's right up there. <laughs> yeah, we minimize the amount of work not done. Yeah, you can't be any more efficient than not running the query. Exactly. And if you don't have to run it to, to move it or change it. That's awesome. All right. Well, we've uh, kind of run out our time. It's been great, Cindy. I think we're, we're going to have to have you back uh, to have some more conversations about this interplay of the, the uh, Data Vault uh, 2.0 methodology and true data ops and data mesh. I think there, there's so much there that we can we can unpack um, that you know I, we just can't do it in 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 one podcast. So yeah. uh, my my closing question for you is that you know the one I ask all my guests just to you know have slightly different flavor here is if you weren't doing data and all these things with Data Vault and uh, everything that you've done, you know what would you be doing? So my dream has always been to have uh, an organic farm. To, okay. Uh, yeah, and actually, and uh, to have a huge apiary, I'd love to have orchards, and um, I am I am super uh, passionate about bees, believe it or not, in our bee population. So, um, I took a class at Penn State a few years back um, on apiaries and and how to 
you know, take care of bees and stuff. So if I weren't traveling so much, I'd have one right now. <laughs> I'd have a couple of hives, but yeah, I'd love to get into uh, organic, uh, sustainable farming and, and uh, you know, doing things to support the bee population. Oh, very cool. That, that sounds like a lot of fun to do that. And it's, it's important to, for people to do that sort of thing. I, I'm, I'm with you on the bee population as well. My wife has a, has a garden and we know we've got to have those, we got to have a good bee population out there to, to pollinate the fruit trees. And uh, yeah. otherwise, you know, we don't have food to eat. So that's right. Very, very important. Pollinators. Well, we love pollinators. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, Thank you very much for being my guest today, Cindy, and taking time out of your schedule to, to come on with us and, and talk about these things. I think it's, it's really important for uh, us to get a lot of perspectives on this. Um, thanks, everyone, for, for joining this week and listening in. Uh, next week, my guest is going to be analyst, consultant, and thought leader, Mike Ferguson. Um, that should be a great conversation. He's another one of the um, contributors to the true data ops philosophy and a, uh, a co-author and editor on our book, uh, data ops for dummies. So you're, you're not going to want to miss that conversation with Mike. So until next week, everyone ha have a great week. Thanks for having me, Kent. <laughs>